What's going on, Connect Church? Uh, my name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am and you're joining us for the first time, I want to sincerely welcome you to our online service. I also want to welcome all of our city groups at locations in all the surrounding areas. All you city groups, I'm expecting a big shout. Come on, I hope you guys are happy to be together, gathering in different locations, coming together as a family. While we're so glad you're joining us online, it's just always better in person. And so I hope at some point in the near future that you will join us physically at any one of our locations. Just go to our website and you will see those locations under our event page and you can register. And we're meeting twice a month uh, shortly, probably the first of the year, we'll be going to uh, weekly uh, services. Basically, a city group is just small church. And so until we can meet big, we're going to meet small. So we have small groups and then we have small church where we gather together in those different locations. So, so, so happy to be with you today. We're starting a new series. Um, I'll set it up like this um, for some of you that have been coming to Connect for a long time. Basically, there's sometimes we're in a season, and in that season we have a series. That's kind of like a, a series of messages, and then there's a sermon. Well, the season that we're in is what we call Legacy at Connect. And this is where we're wanting to uh, make a difference and uh, impact impact the future, you know, and one of our core values is eternity, that there's more to this life than this life, and if there isn't, then we would just take all we have and do what we want with it, but God wants us to take what we have and do something more with it, and so we are in a season called Legacy, and then we're starting a new series today called In God We Trust, that's our series, and so this is part one, and the message is uh, going to be entitled, uh, Who is Your Master? And I'll unpack that as we get into that. Um, but as we um, proceed, what, first of all, what a crazy time we're in right now, right? I mean, is, everybody's, is everybody tired of watching, you know, all the election drama? And I just want to encourage you, uh, if you get a chance, go to our website and listen to my Facebook Live Wisdom Wednesday. But one of the things I just introduced is, while, while there are two kind of conflicting points of view, two parties, two political vantage points, uh, it, you could uh, liken it to two teams that have collided and there's this battle. Uh, God has called us to be the third team. We are the, we are the officials. We have like a dual citizenship in this world where we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven and also citizens here in America. And God's called us, you know, to live by a different rule book, a different standard, to uh, not necessarily control the outcome of the conflict, but do everything we can to bring peace and to manage it by a standard that God has established for us. So I want to encourage you to live like the third team. Live uh, like you're an official uh, in a very, very difficult and trying time. Check that out online. I promise it'll bless you in a big way. Uh, but as we proceed, um, the heart of this series is to help you realize kind of two things. First of all, how blessed you are. I don't know sometimes if we are mindful of that, especially when it comes uh, to our resources. But I also uh, want to prepare you because as we go into the season that we're in right now, there's a tendency to uh, 
you know, kind of having a choir gone haywire, you know, uh, uh, scenario. We, uh, we tend to spend all that we have on things that don't matter. And in, in re- literally weeks sometimes or months, uh, th- there's no even memory of them or their significance has been lost. And so it, I want to throw those, uh, get, get those concerns uh, kind of wrapped up, the fear and the excess. And I want to uh, bring a, a more appropriate um, attitude and mindset where we're doing uh, something with what we have to make a difference. And, and so as we go forward uh, in this COVID craziness, by the way, we're, here we are experiencing another COVID uptick. So I'm so glad that in our strategy and our vision, we can continue to meet uh, in small groups, of course, under 10, but also in uh, worship experiences around. So I'm super, super grateful for that. And as we go through this, man, are we going to get good at social distancing or what? We're going to get, I mean, we're just learning how to embrace these things and still be effective and still be in relationship. And by the way, you know who has social distancing mastered uh, in our country today? Farmers, yeah, farmers, they have social distancing, they have it totally mastered. Many have said uh, they are just outstanding in their field. I'll just let that sit in. Anyway, you probably didn't get that joke. All right, when there's nobody laughing back at you, you just have no idea if it's funny. All right, so speaking of mastering something, I want to talk to you today about who is your master. Now, as I qualify this series, I'm not going to do as much as I normally do, but I think there are two tendencies two uh, polarities when it comes to discussion of our resources. And uh, one is we're really fearful about the future. And so we, have, we don't think we're going to have enough. So we have, this, we have this scarcity mentality. And on the other side, we have this, this excess side. We want to get what we can, all we can, spend what we can on ourselves and you know we got like I call it a black belt mastercard you know we're just swiping uh, everything uh, for ourselves but in either instance there is danger in that excess or in that scarcity Uh, I can remember speaking of scarcity I can remember years ago I think it was during the recession of 2008 might have been earlier because the kids were young but I remember sitting pulling all the kids in around the kitchen table and I was just kind of unpacking for them. Hey, guys, you know, things are a little tough right now. We're in a recession. You know, um, we're going to have to, you know, kind of get the, the no-name cereals now. Devin didn't like that. Um, we're going to have to make some cuts. And, and I can remember, and they're kind of like not getting it. And so I kind of look around and go, you don't understand. We're going to have to make some cuts. And I look at all of them, and I said, and it's serious. And they're like, Dad, what's the I go, well, we're going to have to let one of you go. <laughs> and they're just, dad, dad, come on. Wait, wait, wait. So um, scarcity is a common response when we're afraid in our finances. And we never make good decisions, and we certainly don't make proactive ones. But God's law encourages us against such thinking. It, it's not in your notes, I don't think, but Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24, is what it says. It says, the world of generous The world of the generous person gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Isn't it interesting that your perspective, not your resources, affects your view of the world? 
Proverbs 6.11 says, And poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So it literally, it can take you over. It can, it's, it's crazy how it can affect you. Now on the other side of the coin, the excess side of the coin, there can be this crazy preoccupation with possessions, etc., and the desire for more, and the more of this, and the more. Like for me, for example, and I'm embarrassed to say this, I've done this before, I'm not going to show you this problem that I have, but I'm going to tell you about this problem I have. I have this problem as a guy, which is even bigger, with shoes. I have a problem with shoes. I love shoes, okay? And I didn't want to show you the picture because I can't, I have to take a snapshot of different rooms and places and spaces in our house. Because in this room, there's a lot of shoes, and I'm not going to say how many. And then in this closet, there's a lot of shoes. And then in the attic, there's some that I kind of swap out if, if, if my wife is up there. And in, in the garage or something, and there's some in my car. I mean, it's, it's a problem, okay? I just want to admit that I have a problem. And what makes it even worse is when I get up to try to, this is where I'm like a girl this way, when I get up to try to figure out what to, I can't decide which shoes to wear. And so it's, it's just this acquired gone haywire. And I can't, and it's driving me crazy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, um, I, I thought I'd feel better confessing that, but I somehow feel worse. But anyway, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money shall never have enough. The foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. The more you have, the more you spend. Now, Andy Rooney, some of you remember him from back in the day. Andy Rooney used to say, having enough is nowhere near as much fun as I thought it was going to be when I didn't have any. <laughs> so you, you, you tend to find out that that's not really the, where happiness lies. There was this sign that I read one time. I wrote it in my notes. It said, when I first started working, I used to dream of the day I would earn the salary I am now starving on. And so perspective is, is so key, and these two extremes can get us in so much trouble. Isn't it interesting, though, how so many in our world today, in our culture today, in our area today, never seem to have enough? And sure, getting things can make you happy temporarily, but ultimately it doesn't. So what we have to do is we have to protect ourselves from this corruption that comes from things. We have to protect yourself from things that can, in fact, corrupt you. And the things that, will, the things that you have can take a hold of you. You, you. you have it, or does it have you, as it were? Because they can ruin you. And the Bible talks about this all the time. It's a tension, by the way, that you will have to manage all the days of your life, especially in a country like America. And so the, the, the practice that we should employ first uh, is, you know, we have to find ways, in essence, to, to monitor and manage those, te those tensions. Monitor our heart and manage our behaviors. And, and, and Proverbs tells us this. You've heard this verse, but I'm going to read it from a different translation. Uh, the, the, the Today's Living Bible translation, it says, Above all else, guard your affections, the things you love, for they influence everything else in your life. So your affections affect, uh, they influence your affluence, okay? And they affect every aspect of your life, not just your, your, your money or your resources. So guarding your heart is, what that is saying is you have to put like a protective sealant around your heart. It's like uh, for some of you, you know, this with furniture, you have to, to, to protect new furniture that you buy to keep it from being corrupted, keep it from being, uh, 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 you know, um, uh, stained, uh, you know, with, with other things, you have to put Scotch Guard on it, 
right? A scotch guard. We need a spiritual scotch guard for our heart to protect it from becoming corrupted by things. And the thing is, you can't spray it on. You have to pray it on. You can't just go buy it, acquire it. No, these are things that are, are born out of um, prayer and born out of pursuit of the things of God and then applying the things that he says because we all have these internal desires. The, the Bible calls them appetites, the appetites of the flesh. An appetite is something that is fully and never completely or finally satisfied. An appetite is something that is fully, never completely, or finally satisfied. It's like, uh, I heard one guy call it the affluenza of the heart. It's like a flu for your heart. And it, it, isn't that true? You know that to be true. Uh, if, guys, if you're like me, uh, this has been very common for me uh, during COVID, is you can, have, you can make a meal. I like to make a sandwich. I can make a mean sandwich. All my family wants the sandwiches that I make because I just don't whip things together. It's got TLC all over it. It's, it's got the best condiments. It's got the best pickles. It's got the best, you know, mayonnaise, these special kinds. It's toasted bread. It's the best kind of bread, right? It's, it's double stacked. It's, got, it's awesome, right? Is anybody salivating right now? Just uh, the best turkey, bacon, BLTs, you know, whatever you want. Tuna sandwiches to die for, melts, you know, all that. And so press sandwiches, I got to stop. Okay, so when you make these sandwiches, all right, I can be fully satisfied by that sandwich. But it's interesting, as a guy, 30 minutes ago, I ate one of those sandwiches, but now I'm going back to the refrigerator again. And I open the refrigerator, and I'm just like, I just ate 30 minutes ago, but I want something else, right? It's like I'm, you're, you weren't satisfied? You want something else? What's, what's the matter? I know when my son comes over, Devin, uh, this has been really common through the years, and this is how this, this thing can just increase, you know, this, this internal appetite. He'd come over the house, and he'd open it up, and, and I could hear him. He'd, Mom, there's nothing to eat. Now, there's enough in the refrigerator to feed a third-world country, but he looks at that, and he thinks there's nothing to eat. Translation. It's not convenient, and it won't instantly move into my mouth with, without preparation. And, and that's what happens. We just, it's just, it, we're never finally fully uh, satisfied. It's the same way, not just with food, but with stuff. Stuff is like mammon, like possessions and things like that. It's this insatiable appetite. And basically, what's the problem, Pastor D? We all need counseling, right? We all need counseling. Um, are you going to get more positive? No, I'm not. Initially, I'm just going to tell you like it is. We all have this problem. So what do we need? Well, yeah, we need to pray. We need to guard our heart, and we need to pursue God. But we need some rules for resources, okay? Some rules for resources. Now, there's two things that determine where your resources go and so that they don't control you, so you don't have a choir gone haywire, so you don't have this, just, this, this whole insatiable appetite take you over. The two kind of uh, guiding principles for where your money goes is self-control and priorities. Your self-control and your priorities. Your self-control uh, dictates uh, kind of... Um, you know, how much and your priorities dictate where your resources go. Otherwise, you'll have these boundless desires. So here's kind of our series big idea I want to introduce to you, and then we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of this. Um, money will grow on us systematically if it doesn't go through us 
strategically. In other words, the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. If we don't learn how to exercise self-control and have priorities with our money, uh, then it will grow on us and it will begin to take us over. It will become an idolatry in our life. And so as we talk about this subject, know this, I'm not going to talk about how to stay out of debt today. I'm not going to talk about how to avoid bankruptcy and and, and, uh, though that might be a good talk and we can have some practical on that. It's much deeper than that. So I'm going to kind of go deep dive. In fact, you could be a person who actually has no debt, who's never had a bankruptcy, who's got a lot of money in the bank and still be in a ditch spiritually. In fact, uh, you could be in a dark place financially and have a lot of money and have no debt. See, you could have a house paid off. You could have college tuition already paid for You could, or saved up for the future for your kids. Uh, you could be golden financially, but according to Jesus... And you'll see this. You could still, you could still, you know, financially be running off the road in, into a, a ditch in your heart. Because Jesus always goes for the heart when it comes to this subject. And so if you're a Christian, just kind of tune in here. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This is where we kind of get our, our message title. It says, no one, when it says no one, that means everyone. No one or everyone is involved in this, but no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what's really interesting here, it's like, what is he talking about? Like, I don't have a master. I think that's what people think. You must have me confused with somebody else, uh, Jesus. I, I don't have a master. Uh, and, and this Greek word for master is not what you think. The Greek word for master is not, I don't have a boss, right? I think we think boss. Uh, But it's really, it's this word ownership. It's this word ownership. Master means one who is in charge by virtue of possession or ownership, okay? Now this is saying, this text is saying, this this is very important, you cannot be possessed, owned by more than one thing. You might have met someone who's possessed in your life. Some of you have some little kids, and you've probably seen they look like they're possessed by something. Um, but I'm not talking about that. This is saying you can only have one owner. You can have only one master. And interestingly enough, he didn't say you, can only, you, can, you can't serve God and Satan. No, he didn't say that. He said you can't serve God and money and money. You can't serve God and stuff. And so I want to underscore this very important point. Here's what he's saying. His, the primary issue isn't, is actually not money. The primary issue is who's your master? Who is in control of your life? Who or what is in control of your life? Who has ownership of your heart? And, and, and do, we have, uh, do we have money and stuff? Or does the money and stuff have us? Do we own it or does it own us? Do we possess stuff or does stuff possess us? Are we using it or is it using us? And so the reason we need to answer this question is because the chief competitor to your heart is your resources, according to God's word. The chief competitor between you and God, your heart for God, is your resources. That's the number one competitor. And without some uh, resource rules, without some boundaries uh, to how we live our life, then we will have this unbridled desire, this consumption side of us, or we'll have this unbridled fear, this hoarding tendency. These are the extremes. And the root cause of those two extremes 
in either instance, listen, is greed. Greed. The, the greed monster. I heard this great definition from a pastor. Uh, I think it was Ed Young Jr. He said, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is an assumption that it's all for my, assumption, my consumption. And so if it was put in my hand, it's for me. If, it was a, 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 if I received a bonus check, it was, it was for me. If I won the lottery, well, it's for me. And so it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's there, it's for my, it's for my consumption. And, and that plays out on the giving side, too. Because if by some chance I feel some little, you know, occasional you know, compassion bubble up in my heart where I want to do some giving. Uh, I, I, I want basically to know that God is watching. And so that's why I will slowly begin to write the check and I'll do something uh, in order to be noticed. And, and if he's getting distracted, I'll try to pull him in. And, and, and you know, back in the day, we used to take an offering here in the, in, the, in the sanctuary in which we're in, the auditorium, and we'd pass a bucket. And sometimes the bucket would go through quickly and other times it would pause for a long period of time. And it, a lot of times it was people that actually, uh, they weren't generous, they were greedy. They wanted, they wanted God and everybody to know uh, that they were giving. And so here's the summary. Consume now, spend, or consumer later, hoarding. Those are the two extremes. Either way, it's for me. Either way, now or later, there's a greed problem in those situations. And so here's the tragedy. When you are living that way, listen, when you're living that way, you're living as if there's no God. I'll just let that hit first. You're living as if there's no God. You're living as if there's not more to this, more to this life than, there's, than this life. You're living like all there is to this life is this life. Did you hear what I said? You're not living like there's more to this life than this life. You're living like all there is to this life is this life. And so, of course, it's for me. Get the most out of it as I possibly can. And Solomon, the richest and wealthiest and wisest man in all history, he said, if all there is to this life is this life, then he said, eat, drink, be merry. Like, have a ball. And then he'd say things, one of his favorite phrases was, under the sun, under the sun, I just made up a new version of that. But his favorite phrase there, he'd say, just live it up, basically, for tomorrow you die. And when it's over, it's over. And who cares what your kids think? Uh, you, know, who, you know, you're going to be gone. And who cares about legacy and laying up wealth uh, for the future and, and, and helping other people make a difference through your resources? Who cares about what people think? Because you're just going to be gone. So eat, drink, and, and be merry. There isn't more to this life than this life. There's just this life. And so something interesting happens in, in people who think like that, what, what, what's interesting is eventually trouble comes, uh, perhaps created by us or inflicted upon us. Trouble comes. It's an eventuality. It's an inevitability. Uh, you bought too much car and then your job hours were reduced. Uh, your car, your, your, you know, had breakdowns and problems and uh, there's, there's issues with your house. Uh, the septic system went and the roof needs to be done and, and, and or you upgraded everything to death and, and then you got laid off and, and someone cheated you and whatever it is, guess what? Many of us, when that happens, you know what we always do? Do you know what happens when, when that eventuality uh, hits us? What do you do when financial trouble comes? We pray. 
We pray. Isn't it interesting? See, we're like, hey, God, like, be like me, like, I'm in trouble. It's Derek. Hey, D-E-R, like we had to spell our name to him again. You know, your son, you know, like we had to reacquaint, reintroduce ourselves to God because things now are all screwed up because we've been serving another God, not the one true God in our lives. And the end of day, the end of this, this, this painful process, we need God to come through. And in essence, what we're saying is, God, I might have chosen the wrong master and I'd, I'd like to invite you back in to my finances if I could. And, and so what's interesting and a concern I have for myself and Christians, especially in seasons uh, like we're in right now, is if you think you would reach out to God should a problem occur, why not involve him now? Why not start now, before? Why not build a healthy foundation that's ready for those what-if scenarios and those and those in eventualities, those storms and tremors of life. And so I think we need to pray, and then we need to live with certain resource rules that we prayed about. And so what are some resource rules against this, this greed um, need? And I'll just say it really simply. What we need to do, many of us have heard this, but you might need to be reminded. Some of you have never heard this, and this will change your life. We need to reprioritize our life. We need to reprioritize our life specifically with our finances. Now, there'll be a, like a picture that'll probably go up on the screen. And if you're living like me in the past, this is how I used to live, but I don't live now. Uh, most people are mastered by money. Mastered by money. And here's the order. Live, save, give. Live, save, give. So live is basically, it's, the first two are about me. Spend all my money on me. Whatever I need, whatever, whenever I want it. If, if it's in my hand, it's for me. It's this consumption assumption. A save is if, if, if I have a plan uh, at work, I might be saving along the way, uh, possibly. Unfortunately, most people in America are living at 136% of their, of their um, intake, their income, beyond their income. Come on, somebody. That's crazy. Uh, and then, should there be any left over? And if there is, and if I feel uh, any compassion, or if there's a flood, or if there's a tsunami, or if there's a great commercial after midnight when I'm tired eating, you know, consuming Ben and Jerry's, I might do something uh, benevolent as well. And so this me first, me second, everybody else last, including God, wants where, you know, God is last, and, 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 and he's getting, if there is any, he's getting leftovers. When you live that way, if you are, you're, you are mastered. You've revealed your master because you are living like there isn't more to this life than this life. You're not living with a legacy mentality. And so Jesus comes along in this text, and he, he basically says, I, I want to be, if you want me to be your master, I want to be your master, but you have to embrace my value system. And when you do, I'll flip this whole thing around on you, upside down, and I'll take care of you. So here's, here's really the order according to the kingdom of God and how we reorder our priority, priorities to reflect that God is our master is we, we flip it. We just go give first, save second, 
live last. Knock yourself out after you've done those first two. So first, we give. We give to make a difference. See, people are what's on God's heart, all right? And the, I'll just say this with unapologetically. I'm say this as a Christian at the moment, not as a pastor, if, and I'll qualify if necessary. But people are what God is all about. And the only institution on planet Earth that is 100% committed to people eternally, not just in the here and now, is the church of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you give, the best investment is the church of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen from some people out there, especially all the people that give? Because you know that to be true. Because you are not just making an organizational impact, which some benevolent giving does, but you're giving, you're making an eternal impact. And this is what's so powerful about the local church. So we, to not have your money master you, but to master your money, you give first, you save second. Now, by the way, when you save, God even has standards for that. It's not just save enough so you can retire early. No, you actually, should, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 22, that uh, uh, the, the, the wealthy lay up their wealth for the next generation, for their children's children. So I'm not just saving so I can retire. I'm saving for my children, and I should have a goal of saving for my grandchildren. See, God is always about legacy. He's always about the future. He's always about there's more to this life than this life and just me, myself, and I. God wants us to do more. from. And when we do that, you're going to see what happens. And then lastly, live. Live on the rest. Knock yourself out. Enjoy. Go on vacations. Have a nice car. Have a, Whatever. But this is the part this conversation is when people typically get nervous and, you know, if there was a lot of people in this room, there'd be all kinds of manifestations and ticks and people rolling around and getting up, go to the bathroom 12 times during a 30-minute segment, and I get it. But I wonder, I wonder how, do you, how do you help people receive this? And so to, to, there's so many different ways to kind of communicate this, but, you know, I just thought of setting it up through the lens of a parent, a parent. And I taught our kids this principle, you know, to give and, and to save and to live. In fact, I oftentimes monitor them when they get a new job or they, I was just calling my daughter just to say, I just want to make sure you're, you're still, you're still practicing the tithe and, and you're, you're evaluating your income and making sure you're saving. I mean, I just was just doing that today. And so why would a preacher tell his children uh, to give first? Uh, well, because I want I want the church to get my kids money? <laughs> no. I, I, you know, I, I could have just come in the middle of the night when they were kids and, and take all their money. They wouldn't have known anything. I could have made up a story, you know. I don't know what happened. Uh, but is it because the church needs their money? Well, certainly not while they were growing up. But we were doing this when they were little kids. The buck 70 that Devin was tithing was not paying the bills and keeping the lights on, okay? So I didn't do that because we needed the kids' money. Uh, I'm pretty sure they weren't keeping this ship sailing or moving, you know, along. So why would I do that? I'll tell you why. I, I did not want my children to be mastered by money. And that mastery uh, where where money's mastering you it leads to a life of uh, of independence it removes god from the equation you can't invite him into your situation and your circumstances and and you can't he can't, it's hard for him to to be there for you and the only time you call him in is for emergencies and and until then stay in your corner and if i need you i'll call you i didn't want my kids living like that and so i i encourage them to above all else to guard their heart and have that scotch garden and, and that prayer life and then i encourage them to have these resource rules of 
forgive and of save and of live because I didn't want them to choose things over peace. I didn't want them to choose stuff over people and relationships and, and marriage that works. By the way, you know, that's one of the things I really encourage with all my, all my kids. I was just talking to my daughter about that, like with her boyfriend. I, like, I want to have a conversation because I'm not giving, I'm just, just being honest, I'm not giving my daughter away if he doesn't live by these principles because I know what will happen, not only for him, but in your marriage and in your family and in generations to come if we don't reorder our lives to reflect what Many of us say we believe, but are often not practicing. And so I don't want things to have them. I want them to be able to have things and be free. And so this habit of give, save, live ensures uh, that they will not live a life independent from God. And so as I transition, I want to call all the campus pastors at the different locations down to the front because we have not only an online experience, but we have an in-person experience uh, going on right now. And so as you come, uh, you can just get ready down the front there. But let me just wrap things up. The Bible goes on to say a little bit later, you know, of course, God, we already read that it says you can't serve God in money, right, in Matthew 6. Then a few minutes later, in this sermon from Matthew 6, he says this, he says, so in light of that, basically, do not worry. Do not worry. Because, see, the fear part, that, 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 that's real for a lot of us. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Back then, by the way, they had no refrigeration. They had to get meal Every, get a meal every day. Grocery stores every day. What shall we drink or what shall we, la- what, what shall we wear? C- clothes were crazy, crazy expensive back then. And, and God didn't want them to worry because he knew uh, that their priorities would shift. And he knew that they would close their heart and they would close their hands. Verse 32, he says, For besides that, the pagans, they run after those things. See, pagan, by the way, in this context was a little different. They had, they didn't have a one true God. They, they served many gods and their gods um, wanted to be served, not served. Their gods were not personal gods. Okay, so they didn't care about you personally. And so don't run after, uh, the, you know, those things like the pagans do. And, and, and it says, because, here's the game changer, your heavenly father knows. Oh, this is so good. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. So here's the thing. They were, the pagans were running out. They're like the world. They're running after these things to make them happy. It doesn't make you happy. It's like, it's like the medicine that on the commercials at night that promise you, you know, these, you're going to feel better and this is going to happen and that's going to happen and all these, these things are going to get better for you. But then there's like a, the whole rest of the commercial is a warning. I heard one, this will make you sleep well at night and you'll, have, you'll, have, you'll be able to go to bed right away. And then it said, but there's a possibility in the warning that you could have suicidal thoughts. I'm just like, well, who wants to sleep like that, right? And so God is saying, don't run after that because it won't give you what you're looking for. Trust God. Don't worry. Trust God. These priorities, if you live them, God will take care of you. He's saying, don't worry. Your Father knows what you need. And so the sooner that you wrap yourself around this belief system, that God knows what you need, in that moment what happens is, God, uh, your hands open and your heart opens. Your hands open and your heart opens. And Jesus is saying, basically, I want you to see the kingdom of my Father. I want you to see that I can take care of everything for you. But then he goes on to say, once you realize this, you come to this heavy revy that your Father knows what you need. Don't worry about things. Then he says, but seek first. So now here's how you live these new priorities. Seek first 
rearrange, in other words, reorder, reprioritize his kingdom, referring to his father's view of life and his righteousness. So what is his kingdom? It's an others first, people first kingdom. And so it's, it's, it's going to, if you're going to live this way, if you're going to invite God, if you want God into the equation, it's going to eventually involve his agenda being superimposed on your agenda and your plans. It's going to eventually take you putting others first. That's, Jesus is saying, my daddy's kingdom. It's how he rolls. And then when you do, And then when you do make his kingdom your kingdom and people a priority, which you fulfill that through the local church, then all these things, what things? All those things you're worried about, all those things that you need, and even the things that you want will be given to you as well. It all is connected to your reprioritization and flipping the mastery where money doesn't master you, but you master it with these resource rules. And then... You can confidently go boldly before the throne of grace and you'll find help in your time of need. And every time there's a challenge, God, you can, you can invite him without any fear. You don't have to reacquaint yourself, reintroduce yourself. God will be there for you because in summary, it's all about putting God first and me second. It's all about saying, I've said this for years, when you make his agenda your agenda, he'll make your agenda his. Can I have an amen from everybody out there? Now listen, Wherever you are, listening online and listening in some of the locations in the different cities that surround us, I just want you all to close your eyes right now. I want to just have a moment where we let God do a little surgery on your heart. Because listen, my words are insufficient to communicate the significance of this, this sermon, this little talk. Because that's all it can be. You can go one ear and out the other. I just want to ask you this question. Are you willing Wherever you are, every head bowed, every eye closed, are you willing to reorder your life to reflect his will in your life, in your finances, in your resources? Are you willing to ask God to show you how to exercise self-control and and to bring those, those godly priorities back into your life? And and will you allow it to open your heart? And will you allow it to open your hands? If that's you, I'm just going to pray for you. Right wherever you are, you can even put your hand on your heart as a sign that you are, you are responding physically to something that we're asking God to do spiritually. So Father, for every person within the sound of my voice, I pray that you do a surgery through, through technology, wherever they are, through this message, Lord. I pray that you supernaturally, you just go into everybody's you get, it, you get in everybody's business because, you know, we, we, we sometimes tell people to mind your own business, but, but, but our business is your business. And so we invite you into our heart. We ask you to just go ahead and poke around in there and show, show us where we need to change. Show us where we need to make some alterations. Show us where we need to reorder our priorities to reflect kingdom values. Lord, I pray you do a supernatural work in my brothers and sisters and in young and old. And Lord, I pray that it would manifest in an open heart, in an open hand, in Jesus' name. Now, if you're here, there's a campus pastor right in front. And so whether online or in person, if you know that you're far from God, you're distant, you're, I would say more formally, you're disconnected. Like you're not confident that you are okay here. And maybe that's because you haven't established 
a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about religious practices. I'm talking about relationship. That relationship is made possible when you not just invite Jesus into your finances. You invite Jesus into your heart. And one of the ways you can do that, the Bible says in Romans 10, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And so I want to encourage you that you may already believe Jesus is the Son of God. You might already believe that he died for your sins on Calvary 2,000 years ago. But have you confessed it with your mouth? If that's you today and you've never done that, I want to give you that chance. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And so again, wherever you are, when you pray this prayer, uh, just mean it from your heart. This prayer won't save you, but meaning it and believing it in your heart will. Just say this with me. Everybody who believes this, who needs this, wherever you are, say, Jesus, today I receive salvation that was made possible for me 2,000 years ago. I receive grace by faith, this supernatural gift, because you died on the cross, I don't have to pay for my sins. I accept what you did for me as payment. I thank you for that. And I pray in Jesus' name that I could live my life for you, that I could surrender my heart and my life to you. You are not only Savior now, you are also my Lord. I make you the master of my heart in Jesus' name. And everybody who said that and everybody else say amen and amen. Hey, listen, if you just made that decision, it just, you can raise your hand right in the chat there online. If you made that decision in a city group, just raise your hand with every eye closed, every head bowed in the city groups. Just keep your eyes closed. Just raise your hand so that the campus pastor can see you and acknowledge you. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody that decision you made, whether online or in person. And so there's going to be an opportunity for you to let the campus pastor or no, and they're going to lead you kind of in the, the next uh, path and next step. We have a gift for you, and that's going to happen at the city group. So just talk to the campus pastor. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. And online, if you would just text CC uh, saved to 97,000. When you text that, we're going to send you also a gift called What's Next to help you on your spiritual journey. I hope this message blessed you. I'm so excited for those of you who made that decision. And I hope to see you at a small group or a city group real soon. God bless you. We'll see you soon.